Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Creation Podcast, the show where we discuss science that confirms scripture. I'm your host, Trey, and my guest today is Dr. Jake Heber, ICR research scientist and physicist. We're so glad to have you on today, Dr. Heber. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Today, we're talking about a topic that does get thrown around sometimes. Uh, It's a a pretty hot topic recently. Um, We're going to talk about distant starlight. And so, to set the stage for all of our listeners and viewers, some evolutionists claim that the fact that we can even see distant galaxies and stars that are billions of light years away uh, proves that the universe is that old. Otherwise, how could the light even reach us, right? Uh, of course, Dr. Heber, as creationists, we would state that the universe is not that old. It's only about 6,000 years old, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay, yeah. good. I'm just testing you. Okay. No, no, well, you know, probably the, probably the best way to approach this topic is to set a little background. And, you know, the issue is not as simple as everybody thinks it right. is. Um, and one way I think maybe I can illustrate that is that the speed of light is weird even before you start talking about something like distant starlight. Okay. Um, let, me, let me just use a simple illustration. Let's say that you're standing on the side of the road and there's a car traveling toward you at, say, 50 miles an hour, and it's a convertible, and there's somebody in the pass, a professional baseball player in the passenger seat, and he throws a baseball at you at 100 miles an hour. Okay, so how fast are you going to see that baseball coming toward you? Well, if the car is going 50 miles an hour and the baseball is going 100, you ought to see it at 150 miles an hour, right? right? That seems pretty straightforward. Well, let's replace the car with the spaceship. And let's say the spaceship is going at nearly the speed of light. Let's say 99% the speed of light. Okay. And it fires a laser at you. Okay, light. And that, now the speed of light, okay, is C, it's 186,000 miles per hour. Right. The spaceship is going at 99% of that, which is, you know, whatever 99% of 186,000 is. You would think intuitively, like you would just add those together, right? The speed of the laser would just be almost twice the speed of light. Right. Turns out that's not right. It's still 186,000 miles per second. It's constant. which, which, Which is totally counterintuitive okay but that weirdness about light is one of the things that led to einstein's theory of special relativity relativity where you get these weird effects like clocks ticking at different rates and length contraction and time dilation and things like that and so right off the bat that ought to be a clue this issue is not quite as simple as everybody thinks it is and um you know, I don't know. If, I don't know if I can say that we've got the correct solution at this point. Now, we've got solutions, uh, and there are some creationists who think the issue has already been solved in principle. Right. Uh, at the International Conference on Creationism uh, back in 2018, there were a number of papers on this. Uh, there was a paper by a, a guy named Tico Tenev. I hope I didn't mispronounce his name. Uh, and there was another guy named Philip Dennis who did some papers that were pretty impressive. Right. And, um, you know, when you're, when you're trying to explain distant starlight, there's sort of, in general, uh, there's a number of different approaches you can take. Some people would say it's just supernatural. God did a miracle to get the light here. Right. Uh, I'm personally, I, I don't have any philosophical problems with that view, but I'm mm-hmm. kind of uncomfortable with it because I think there's some biblical evidence that may suggest that distant starlight is still getting here quickly. Okay. And if that's the case, 
it can't be a creation week miracle because those miracles all stopped by the end of the creation week. And I'm sp- talking specifically about um, Revelation 8. Uh, there's, a, there's a place there where it talks about uh, there's a plague where these angel, God tells the angels to strike a third of the moon, a, a third of the sun, and a third of the stars, and it, there's darkness. Right. And you read right. it, and you get the sense that that effect gets here quickly. Instantaneously. You don't, yeah. well, maybe not necessarily instantaneously, no, but quickly. Very quickly. Uh, yes. And I'm not the first person to point this out. There was a creation astronomer named Steve Miller who pointed this out years ago. Well, if, if, you're, if you take Revelation fairly literally, like I do, uh, and you think that's a real event that's going to happen, that suggests, or it seems to suggest, that that light is still getting here quickly. Right. In, in that case, you, it, it would need to be something other than a creation week miracle. Okay. It would, you, you ought to be able to explain it in terms of normal physics. Okay. Now, if you try to explain it in terms of physics, uh, there's two approaches that people take, and, but they both use relativity theory, Einstein's theory of relativity. Okay. One involves this issue of simultaneity, uh, the things that um, one observer sees as simultaneous may not necessarily be simultaneous for another observer. Okay. And you can sort of set up your initial conditions and you can get the light here, you know, on day four. You have it start on day four and get here on day four. The other approach that creationists have traditionally used is time dilation. This idea that clocks in deep space could be ticking faster uh, than they hear than they are here on Earth. And that are, is that is the argument that I am more familiar with. That's yes, the one that I've always yes, heard. Yes, yes, yeah. and that's that's that one is been around a lot longer. Russ okay. Humphreys came up with that in 1994, but he's he's uh, he's revised his theory a lot since then. Okay, and uh, I do know that there's other creationists who question whether his model can get you enough time dilation to make it work. Uh, but I still, in spite of that, I tend to lean toward the time dilation view because I think there's some things other than distant starlight you still have to explain. Things that seem to indicate lots of time going in, occurring in deep space. Okay. Like, you know, you have galaxies that look like they're colliding. Right. And if you think about how far apart your typical galaxies are and how much time it would take for them to interact like that, that seems to be a strong argument for deep time. Right. And in my opinion, that's one of the few arguments for deep time that I think is fairly convincing. Right. Um, and so that may suggest that you still need some kind of time dilation effect or something like that to, to get the right answer. So for our listeners and viewers, just to clarify, so time dilation in reference to like, hey, time is operating differently here yes. where we are than it is way out there. Yeah, yeah. The, the the basic idea would be that clocks here on Earth are are uh, uh, ticking a lot slower than clocks in deep space. Okay. Okay, so while you would have one 24-hour literal, one literal 24-hour day on day four, okay, you could have had a lot of time, millions or billions of years elapsing in deep space, and that would allow the light to get here. Okay. And, and we know that clocks can tick at different rates. I mean, relativity theory allows for that. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure, I'm not sure we've got the correct answer yet. We've got, we've got possible answers. Um, and I, and the evolutionists should not be so confident about this. You know, they think this is an, a slam dunk argument that makes creationism look foolish. Foolish. They've got their own versions of this problem. Okay. They've got at least two versions of this problem. Double the problems. Yes. <laughs> one, one is something called the horizon problem. Okay. 
and it involves what they call the cosmic microwave background radiation. That radiation, according to the Big Bang theory, should be very uniform. Mm -hmm. And it turns out it is very uniform, but that uniformity also causes a problem because uh, there's two ways to explain it. One way would be to ex to explain it would be would be to say that at the Big Bang, which here at ICR we reject, but if Correct. you're going to accept the Big Bang, you assume that at the Big Bang conditions were just precisely ordered so that everything was very uniform. Right. The only problem with that for an evolutionist is that requires extreme fine tuning. They don't like that. So they're going to try to find some other way to explain it. Well, what they, they claim is that early in the history of the universe, space expanded extremely fast, and that overcame... Well, the reason it's a problem is because if you're going to say that the, the microwave background radiation is uniform, how do you make it uniform if it doesn't start out uniform? Right. Well, presumably you would have light traveling... And in the same way that radiant energy, say, from a fireplace can warm up a, a, a cold room, the idea would be that radiation would equilibrate or basically make that uh, associated temperature with the background more uniform. And that could work. The only problem is uh, in order to get light from you know, one side of the sky to the other, uh, you need billion, billion, the, even 13.8 billion years is not enough. Not enough. Wow. So they had to invoke this thing called inflation, which is the idea that the universe underwent this tremendous growth spurt early in its history. Uh, and it seems to solve that problem, but it's gotten so weird, inflation theory, that other big bang supporters are now harshly criticizing it, and they're trying something else. Um, so mm. that's one problem they have. Okay, now you could say, well, I get they've solved it, but sort the, of, so the yeah. solution has created even more problems. Right. Okay. okay. <clears throat> the other problem they have involves what we call distant mature galaxies. There are galaxies, you got, you got to remember what they think about the Big Bang. They remember, they think, first of all, they're assuming that distant starlight does take billions of years to get here. Now, right. we don't disagree that the galaxies are billions of light years away. Okay. We, we don't accept necessarily, though, that it takes the light that long to get here. Right. Because remember, a, a light year is a unit of distance. It's about six trillion miles. Uh, long, it's a long way. It's a long way. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is a long way. But here's the, the other problem they have. Um, they believe, okay, that uh, it took, you know, um, maybe a, hundred, a few hundred million years after the Big Bang, you started having galaxies to form. Well... And, uh, you know, it takes a, supposedly a long time for this to happen. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, for instance, our, our, our Milky Way galaxy is supposed to be around 10 billion, more than 10 billion years old. The disk itself, I think, is about 10 billion, allegedly. Mm -hmm. uh, so it takes a long time for these galaxies to form, supposedly. Uh, so that if, if, they, if they are that far away, and we agree that they're that far away, and if you assume it takes distant starlight a long time to reach here, that would mean that we're seeing these very, very distant galaxies. I mean, some that are, you know, supposedly formed just a few hundred million years after the Big Bang. Mm. Uh, we ought to be seeing them not as they are now, but as they were shortly after the Big Bang. So they should be young. They ought to look unevolved. Okay. okay. They, they shouldn't, they haven't had time to mature. They ought to, yeah, they look, they ought to look uh, very immature. But we mm -hmm. see galaxies at great distances that look, very similar to galaxies we see here. You know, there right. there's some differences, but they're they they're mature. They don't they don't seem 
unevolved the way you would expect. Right. And the, the secular scientists have consistently and repeatedly been surprised by this. Now, what that tells me is there's either something wrong with their ideas about how galaxies evolve over time, which probably true, <laughs> or there's something wrong with the assumption that it takes distant light billions of years to reach, his, reach us, or maybe both. Mm. Okay, so they've got their own versions of this problem. Okay, they cannot afford to be smug about this. Um, and again, it's it's it, the issue is not as simple as everybody thinks it is. And um, but I think relativity theory, in some form or fashion, is probably the key to explaining this. Okay, and yep. so relativity theory. Can you, for our listeners and viewers, and me myself, I could I could use a refresher, right? Uh, kind of give a, a brief overview of of exactly how that relates. Uh, well, the main thing is that uh, that clocks can tick at different rates. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, and. Uh, you know, there's, there's different versions of relativity. Einstein first came out with what is called special relativity that doesn't involve gravity. But then he came out with general relativity that does involve gravity. And um, I'm not sure I can say it in an easy way much simpler than that. But the main point is that clocks can tick at different okay. rates. That's, that's the key point. It's not as simple as everybody thinks it is. And um, now, it, like I said, we may have solutions to the problem but right. do we have the right solution uh because remember you know like like i said you see what looks like galaxies interacting mm -hmm. so you got to explain that too right okay so it's not just the distant starlight we got to explain we got to explain that other stuff and i think if you're talking just about distant starlight i think you can make a case that we've already solved it um but that interacts with other things. Well, right? it is, yeah. does it solve? Is it does it explain all the data? Right. That's the thing. And I, I'll give you an example about this. You know, how do you measure the speed of light anyway? Well, it turns out that you have to bounce the light between two mirrors, uh, measure the well. Well, really, you only need one mirror. You have the light source. You shoot the light off the mirror. Comes back. You measure the time. And so that time for that round trip distance, if you divide that into that total distance, twice whatever the distance between the light and mirror is, that can give you the speed of light. Right. Okay. Well, you might say, well, why don't we just why don't we just have a detector here and a light source here and just shoot the light here and then measure it? Why why do we even need the light to bounce back? Well, it turns out because your clocks have to be very synchronized. They've got to be precisely synchronized to make this work. And it turns out you can't do that. Uh, like even if you start out, you know, start out with clocks that are synchronized and you move them apart from each other, they're no longer synchronized. Wow. Because the speed of light and time are tied together. Right. And so it is very, very tough. Uh, you can't, I mean, as far as anybody knows, you can't even measure the one way speed of light. Okay. The only way you can measure it is to do the two way speed. of light. Right. Now that brings up another interesting point. Now the creationists have pointed this out. You know, um, if you can't measure the one-way speed of light, that means it's impossible to calculate the time, the one-way light travel time to get here. And if you can't calculate it, can we even talk about a light travel time? Right. Can you say it takes yes. billions I mean, of years? I mean, like, yeah. well, you know, you've got these guys out there, these secularists who are really they're hard-nosed empiricists, and they say, well, if I can't measure it, it's not real. Well, guess what? You can't measure the one-way speed of light. Right. So is it real? Right. I mean, I think I think it is, but you could make a philosophical argument that it's not. Right. 
And if it's not, can you even talk about a light travel time problem? So these are the kind of things you have to deal with when you're talking about distant starlight. And I'm not sure that we've got the right answer yet, but, I, but we've made a lot of progress in the last maybe 30, uh, 30 years or so on this topic. Gotcha. So from my understanding of this, what you're saying is that it's not actually really a problem in and of itself. It's just something to be further explored, something right. that merits further discussion. Well, it does. I mean, I mean, you could say it's a problem, uh, but you know, here, here's the interesting thing about the way the secularists are. When they have a problem, they say, oh, that's an interesting and exciting research project. Mm -hmm. Okay, when we have a problem, they expect us to just collapse and, and, and give up. Right. Well, no, we're not going to do that, okay? Uh, yes. you know, there are issues that we're still working on, but the preponderance of evidence clearly favors biblical creation. Not just creation, but biblical creation. Right. And there is strong evidence of youth, especially here on Earth and in our solar system, and even in deep space, you know, where, where you seem to have fairly strong arguments for long ages, mm -hmm. even in deep space, there are things that don't quite fit. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't lie awake at night worrying about this. I would, it would be great if we had the solution. But here's the thing you got to realize. If we ever do get the correct solution, it may be something the average person isn't going to understand. Right. I mean, it may be something I won't understand. I mean, I'm a physicist, and I've had some relativity background, but it could turn out that the correct answer is going to require more expertise than I have. Right. <laughs> so, you know, is everybody wants a quick fix to right. this issue. And Stop I'm not, the Band-Aid on it. I'm not sure. You know, it may, it's maybe, maybe one of those things where it's, it's complicated enough that it's not really possible to do that. Uh, but it's not, again, I don't lie awake at night worrying about this. Uh, there is an answer. Um, you know, the Bible is always right. Right. Um, you know, it's been proven right in the past. It's going to be proven right in the future. Uh, and so, you know, God is certainly capable of doing it. And I, you know, I'd, if you really think about it, it is really arrogant for somebody to say, just because I don't understand how distant starlight got here, I'm not going to believe what the Bible says. You know, that's like a kindergartner saying, you know, he's got a dad who's an electrical engineer, and he doesn't believe what his dad says about electricity because he doesn't understand it. Right. Well, you may not know enough to understand it, you know, it's and so... We can't comprehend. Yeah, I mean, God certainly knows enough physics to get this to work, mm -hmm. and and uh, I'm confident that when we have all the information, it's going to work out. Uh, but it's something we're still working on. But it's not it's not something to to panic over. Right. And I think secular guys should not be so smug about it because they've got their own issues when we're talking about talking about this. It almost seems unfair that they expect us to panic about it, but they don't panic right, about it. Right. They'll just tinker a little bit with the theory and try to make it work a little more. Oh, it'll, it'll be fine in time. Yeah. Yeah. Well. And by the way, there's zero evidence for inflation. Yeah. Zero. They, they had, they had a big uh, hoopla back in 2014 when they claimed they had smoking gun evidence for inflation, which is what they used to try to solve this right. horizon problem. And it turned out to be a, a, a false alarm. Yeah. Wow. So they have zero evidence for inflation. Their only quote unquote evidence for inflation is that the Big Bang doesn't work without it. Okay, but it's gotten so weird and so bizarre because, I mean, inflation theory is where you get the idea of other universes mm -hmm. and all this weird stuff out there. It, it's, uh, and I, I, would, I would argue most of the weirdness of modern cosmology is coming from the Big Bang. 
Um, trying to fit stuff into it. We are trying to dodge design. Mm. Like, like, remember I said earlier that one of the ways they could solve that horizon problem is just say that everything was finely tuned at the very beginning. That's one way to solve it. Right. But what you notice in cosmology is that these guys encounter a problem that could be solved by fine tuning where they would, they'd have to acknowledge God did it. Right. And they consistently swerve out of the way and they will tack on another hypothesis to try to solve it. But what you find out later is that other hypothesis creates more problems. So they, so they have to tack on another hypothesis and it just keeps going on and on and on. It keeps getting weirder and weirder. A machine that doesn't make sense anymore. No, right? that's right. That's right. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you so much uh, for uh, for being here today and for uh, sharing sharing that with us. You have anything else? Any final thoughts? No. No, not really. Not uh, really? Well, I tell you, no. Actually, I do. Now that I mention it, uh, if you'd like to learn more about this, there are some great resources out there. There's a book called Relativity Visualized okay. by Lewis Carroll Epstein. I don't think he's necessarily a creationist. Uh, but it's a great way to familiarize yourself with relativity theory. It's basically, I don't think there's any equations in it. It's just a lot of cartoons and diagrams, very conceptual to help people understand some of the basics of relativity theory. Also, if you're interested in that research I mentioned earlier, uh, you can do a web search for the International Conference on Creationism 2018 uh, at digitalcommons.cedarville.edu. Those papers have been archived. They're open access. Okay. So if you'd like to d delve into the technical details of this stuff, you, that's certainly an opportunity for you to do so. That's fantastic. We do. I'm, I'm sure that there will be at least one person who wants to get into the nitty gritty of all of that. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. And uh, to all of our viewers and listeners, we want to thank you for being here as well. Uh, remember that this podcast is available on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to give us a like, a review, a rating, uh, share with your friends and family. Uh, we'd love to um, just have this podcast reach more people, whoever needs to hear this truth. Uh, and with that, I'm Trey, and this has been the Creation Podcast. We'll see you next time.